Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst Podcast, your weekly dose of all that's important in the hotel investment space. Uh, and we're here uh, once again around the desk of insight. My name is Chris Bown, the editor at Hotel Analyst, and I'm joined by Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst. And uh, if you like what you hear, then by all means pop along to Hotel Analyst, where if you choose to subscribe, then you can read in much more detail uh, about what we've been talking about. And this week we're going to start off by uh, look, talking, taking another look at what's going on in the decarbonisation and uh, green space. Uh, it's suddenly become a hot topic for uh, the hotel industry as it has for so many other parts of the real estate world because there's a sudden realisation that uh, coming off the back of COP26 uh, things have got to be done. If you don't get to the beat, then uh, in the years to come, your real estate will become less and less valuable uh, if it's uh, more and more carbon intense. So uh, the latest uh, sort of step along this this road is the Sustainable Hospitality Alliance has launched uh, some new elements of its uh, pathway to net positive hospitality. And uh, the uh, Alliance's chairman, Wolfgang Neumann, held a session at uh, ITB Berlin talking with some other senior leaders around the uh, the issues the challenges and the opportunities in this space uh, SHA says you know we've got to go to net positive never mind going to net zero uh, and that positive may well be kind of looking at more broadly at kind of po a positive contribution that tourism and hospitality can make to the world in general um, so the session uh, touched on uh, some of the challenges that uh, actually at the kind of hotel operational level we heard from Nikhil Anand the ex an executive director at uh, the Indian Hotel Group ITC where they've made quite a lot of progress uh, decarbonizing and greening their own hotels interestingly though they have been able to be quite successful with the ones they directly own uh, but less successful in persuading their landlords to take the same steps along the road with them and I think that's kind of an issue which is going to be uh, one that keeps on coming up uh, you know how do you get your landlord to buy into spending money on his property to decarbonize it um, when uh, actually you know he sees you getting all the benefit some other comments interesting comments from uh, Sebastian Bazan of Accor who uh, was was talking at large about how perhaps the hotel industry ought to be reconsidering whether it should be building uh, new properties in uh, in f parts of fragile ecosystems around the world um, but also on the on the flip side of that um, if making the point that if you do develop hotels in emerging economies very often you actually create very valuable jobs uh, from from developing tourism in those those regions so a, a broad a broad brush uh, listen to some some of the issues that uh, the, the whole sector has got to face yeah and um I mean, the very interesting listen it was too. And the, the, the difficulty with anything like this is avoiding platitudes and um, focusing on meaningful action. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of this area has been rather full of platitudes and not so full of meaningful action. Um, this was especially the case in the, in the the old days when we used to talk about corporate social responsibility, CSR. Remember that. Mm -hmm. um, so when I um, this is when I was still 
uh, in London um, had an office in London I used to play tennis with a, a guy who was uh, a director at a major financial PR outfit and uh, CSR was all the rage then it was the acronym du jour um, but the reality was nobody cared it was just all waffle it was just all platitudes and he admitted that he used to get his office junior to write the CSR blurb in all the annual reports <laughs> of his clients because nobody that mattered read it now I think we've come on a little way since then yeah. and not just because we've got a new acronym ESG the environmental social and governance thing um, it's actually turning into a thing where you need to do stuff to keep making money and I think that's a much this notion of we're going to save the world and it's the right thing to do and all these other terrible platitudes which are well, good platitudes but um, they're terrible because they are meaningless um, if they're not followed up with action um, so we're getting away from just being able to spout platitudes and getting to a point where actually this matters to keep making money um, and one of the things I think this gets very confused um, if you read something like the Harvard Business Review now I, I did a uh, uh, Google in their search engine or, well use their search engine um, it's outside Google um, and use their search engine and uh, you, you come up with this whole list of articles having a pop at dear old Milton Friedman um, and his notion that the primary responsibility for, for companies and only responsibility for companies is to keep making money um, now he wrote this essay back in 1970 uh, the social responsibility of business is to increase its profits um, but I would argue that is still true today um, and I would dispute all those articles saying he's outdated and doesn't mean anything because the key thing if you read his piece carefully what he says is that uh, um, businesses maximize profits but only within and to quote the basic rules of the society both those embodied in law and those embodied in ethical custom well the reality today is that those rules are a changing um, ESG is changing and to comply with those rules companies are going to have to change and I'm much happier with politicians um, changing those rules than I am with some corporate executive deciding waking up and deciding that she or he wants to change the world sort of thing and I think that it ought to come from that and these ESG standards now are coming from political pressure um, they're coming into um, the institutional investors and they are changing what they um, how they are approaching things they've got key requirements to meet ESG standards um, and this is going to change how people do business because to keep making money they're going to have to be compliant with these new standards and that to me is the right way of going about this now um, in in the piece um, uh, I wrote uh, in our perspective um, I, I, I sort of talk a bit more length about this and um, talk in particular about the new rules which are coming so we've got uh, um, the uh, International Accounting Standards Board um, they are producing uh, uh, new measures the International Sustainability Standards Board um, and this is going to be uh, in my view the global benchmark um, for how to meet ESG standards and once we've got some proper measurements to you know and they're going to be crude and rough and not very good at the beginning but they are going to be the basis on which 
all of this stuff is going to be built um, the first big conference the inaugural conference for this is this june in london um, it's going to be uh, a very important i think uh uh, a moment in terms of the evolution of this um and um you know what's important i think for for corporates is that they engage with this process they engage with things such as the sustainable hospitality alliance and the uh um, Energy and Environmental Alliance, which we've written about previously. Both you and I, Chris, mm -hmm. went along to their um, inaugural conference as well. Um, these are very important because I think what matters here is that uh, uh, the hospitality sector is not disadvantaged uh, in terms of how these standards are set and how these things are measured, because the last thing you want is to get clobbered for ESG standards um, and make investment in hospitality harder than for other sectors so it's important that there is engagement there i think there needs to be awareness in the industry there uh, but this is where the change is going to happen yes corporates need to be conscious of this they need to start making changes and and being you know building an awareness in-house um, because these standards are coming and they, they they want to be able to meet them um, so that they are not sort of left out the side um, outside of accessing institutional money um, to access that money you're going to need to comply um, and this is the way forward I think from from the perspective of uh, from our sector and less about the platitudes more about the delivery. Now we're going to move on to another area of operational real estate uh, which is a, a bit of a buzz at the moment and that's the whole business of uh, serviced offices and flexible offices. Uh, it's an area where all those involved are rubbing their hands in glee at the thought that uh, all of those people who uh, had to work at home during Covid are not going to go back full time to their offices but they're going to be requiring flexible space here there and everywhere and perhaps even near their homes as they realize working from home is not such a great thing after all and they'd prefer to be in some sort of an office if not the corporate head office that's miles away in a long commute uh, so we had a quick look at uh, some numbers that came out recently from IWG uh, the, the group that used to be called Regis uh, and also from WeWork, who uh, the the young pretender who has recently listed by reversing itself into a SPAC in uh, the US. The interesting thing here is that uh, uh, IWG is far larger, has a long track record of profit, but uh, frustratingly for the, the the head guy Mark Dixon, it's been valued much lower than the uh, the young upstart WeWork, which when you look at the uh, the numbers has yet to make a profit and is probably going to be underwater uh, and in the red for oh, the next couple of years. Uh, so um, uh, Dixon has, has, has come up with a, a cunning plan to uh, improve the, the lot of his, his shareholders and investors uh, and he's just acquired a, a company that uh, holds a, the keys to a, a kind of workspace organization platform. Um, uh, that company is called uh, instant and he's uh, going to integrate it into uh, IWG and then plans to split it out uh, perhaps at some point next year um, which will then he hopes enable him to kind of demonstrate that IWG has just as much of a tech angle as WeWork has itself. 
Um, both of these businesses are starting to look more and more like hotel companies, strangely. Um, the growth now is all going to be asset light, and IWG is very strongly doing uh, franchise deals and um, management contracts to uh, facilitate that growth. And uh, the other point that uh, made him sound more and more like a hotel uh, chief executive was when Dixon mentioned that the fact that he's got 10 different brands in his brand portfolio and he needs to start making more purchase out of several of those so um uh and, and of course the the other curious thing is these these workplace platforms um which which we work and iwg are both working on the idea of those is that you can then quite easily book some space in your own corporate office uh, just as easily as you can book some space in a regis business center when you're visiting copenhagen or, or paris um one point that i kind of made it started making me think well perhaps this platform should also be the place where you could book your hotel room nights when you're visiting the regis in in copenhagen or paris as well uh, so there, there may be f further commonality between uh, hotels and and serviced offices in future yeah it's a very obvious marketing link up there that's for sure um are you an apple tv subscriber chris no no, so you won't be able to see the WeWork story, which they've turned into a mini-series on Apple exciting. TV, We Crashed, <laughs> um, which is, uh, well, it's rather more heavy on the love interest than it is on the business reality, right. I think. But uh, um, uh, but it, it, it's, it, in a way, that, that was what they're describing within We Crashed was the uh, 1.0 of uh, Flex Office and uh, all hype and not so much of the substance and uh, overpaying for leases, sort of buying long and uh, ending up being very vulnerable because you were selling short. Um, and that was what was happening. I think we're now entering 2.0 um, in terms of Flex Office is a lot more sustainable uh, approach to it and certainly the new management at uh, WeWork are rather different um, I can't imagine them spliffing up on their corporate <laughs> jets in the, in, the, in the same way as the previous lot for example um, <laughs> trying to copyright the word we yeah yeah yes <laughs> yes indeed trademark <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. yeah yes interesting um, but uh, what, the other thing I, th I think this 2.0 uh, something to uh, interesting out of this is how they're now going asset light mm. um i think we've been there in the hotel sector before haven't we so um iwg for example is committing say wants to be 50 percent asset light by which it means it's either franchise or has a partner a management contract effectively um at the moment um it's uh um 35 percent um of the total and it, it by the end of this year it's going to be half so that's quite an extraordinary push um, rate of push into that um, and indeed a lot of the expansion at uh, WeWork's going to be along those sort of lines as well um, WeWork is still hemorrhaging cash at the moment um, they what they're expecting to lose what half a billion um, in adjusted EBITDA <laughs> um, yeah. so the, the actual real loss is going to be even bigger um, at the end of this year but they do expect at that point I mean while well, they'll have accumulated losses throughout the year sort of thing but but by the end of the year they hope to be at that sort of break even in adjusted EBITDA um, by then and partly they've done that by getting out of leases um, they've got out of 210 already and they've um, made changes to 420 which I 
takers they've cut the rents <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in, um, in 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 those um so they're looking at a, a lot more sustainable business uh, from that perspective i think um and i think what we are seeing with the the whole flex office story is is one that is much more substance um rather than the the slick and gloss um the slick and gloss made for great tv mm. shows um but in terms of you know where you want your pension fund i suspect it's 2.0 not the 1.0 now well, let's turn to the service department sector which has had a very good pandemic relatively it performed uh, much more strongly through the pandemic uh, than uh, hotels and it seems the uh, outperformance is continuing as things build back up um, and we are now at a point where uh, it's come in from being a, a niche that was very much uh somewhere where the kind of very adventurous investors played to uh, not quite but heading towards kind of much more of a blue chip play um, and the, uh, the the leading brands in in the sector in Europe are now pushing hard to uh, grow their portfolio as fast as they can and uh, get some flags on the map um, Eden which is uh, uh, backed by Brookfield is pushing ahead very strongly and have recently just announced, uh, agreed another 105 million pound of debt funding to support their expansion as they uh, jet around Europe buying up properties to convert to their uh, one of their uh, service department brands um, we've also seen Stay City which had actually uh, had a tough uh, perhaps a tough pandemic but attracted a new investment um, and has now got a, a very strong pipeline of openings over the next uh, year or two um, some of them were kind of delayed during the pandemic but they've um, they've stayed on a revised track and so they've got uh, plenty more coming and um, we've just had a report from Savills who've had a good look at the sector and declared it fit healthy and looking forward to really strong growth and what one of the interesting points uh, from the research that Savills did was that uh, the the investors are not just heading for the kind of major uh, big cities but there's quite a lot of construction and development going on in smaller cities as well as people spot the opportunity to to jump into this market and rather than just follow the herd into London Paris and so on um, they can see demand in in sort of secondary cities um, around around the whole of Europe so um, into the sector so choice hotels has recently sharpened up what it used to call a uh, suburban extended stay they've re rebranded the suburban studios they've uh, put together a kind of slick uh, package of conversion uh, tricks for for hotels so they can hotels can very easily convert into this new extended stay uh, portfolio and we've also just seen an uh, announcement from Wyndham that they are launching an, uh, an economy extended stay brand too so uh, this seems to be a niche that's pretty much on fire yeah and the interesting bit with this is just how aggressive already the yields are so there uh, uh, Savills um, just issued a report the uh, European Service Department report um, this month earlier this month um, and they they said that the yields are just about at the same sort of level as uh, leased hotels which is quite incredible um given the uh much smaller sector that that, that this is because of course in in the the triumvirate of investment you've you, you're balancing that return piece against the liquidity piece and uh against the volatility piece now where 
these uh, where service departments extended stay uh, et al uh, scores very well is in terms of the uh, volatility so as you've said Chris they had a good pandemic and indeed they're having a good recovery from um, the pandemic lockdowns um, the, the, uh, during the uh, pandemic lockdowns they in many cases were able to keep trading um, because they are classified in some cases as residential so they're able to keep trading for that um, also the level of loss during the uh, lockdowns were was lower even if they shut because the overheads and costs are lower in terms of the staff and so forth um, but as we come out that same lower staff cost is is critical because obviously that's one of the highest um, inflating factors I mean staff costs are the biggest um, input in in terms of operations and if if you able to reduce that uh, you, you you're off to a off to a winner there anyway so that's that's very good on that volatility piece I think um, that's a real big tick in that um, that the challenge has been liquidity and it's still relatively again looking at that Savills report they said that across Europe um, it was uh, uh, only a little over 500 million uh, euros of transactions were done this is relatively small market and you know at, at, at its height in uh, 2019 it was 1.2 billion euros so it's going to take a bit to sort of build that up and uh, um, get to the to get to the comparable point of hotels and when it as it does you know if it well I mean frankly I I will be surprised if it gets very close to hotels because hotels are, are bigger this is a subsector of the of of the of the accommodation market and um, I think there is significant room for growth and it will get bigger um, and that will help um, ultimately push those yields down even further so probably below uh leased hotels probably not though um that near residential the you know one of the advantages of um service departments is in terms of their operational flexibility um against uh, something like say um residential um and but at the same time that actually that costs money and 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 it is is more challenging um than a much more simple product that resi is and i just don't see service departments actually getting to the same sort of uh, yields as as resi anytime soon heading towards it certainly but not uh, not actually get, getting quite to that that same point nonetheless i mean you know i don't want to tarnish um, what is actually a very very good um, news story regarding this whole segment and, and and its growth and I think you mentioned Project ECHO which is Economy Hotel Opportunity um, the, the acronym um, Wyndham are currently using for their um, economy brand uh, um, and that shows just how I mean and it's already huge in the US this whole piece um, and I think uh, uh, what we haven't seen yet is it getting to quite that scale in in europe but i think there's the potential to get there um but, but it's peculiar I, I can't quite figure out i'm not quite understanding why but we haven't seen the north american brands come across to europe yet i mean apart from staybridge suites from ihg we've not seen hilton bring any of their stuff over um maybe wyndham will it ultimately as well i mean i think there's no reason why um whatever they end up calling project <laughs> echo um, won't be a good success a choice of a of a number of brands in the economy and mid-scale um extended stay as well um so maybe we will start seeing some of that 
come across and that will give us that um, bigger scale and bigger liquidity to drive even the, the yields down even further we'll wait and see at the moment of course it's it's Adagio the the JV with Accor and uh, Pierre Vacances which is uh, uh, the biggest uh, player in, in, in Europe and um, um, the Asians um, um, entries such as uh, um, Ascot and Fraser's um, they're, they're um, significant players too so um, you know let's let's see in, um, um, if the North Americans going to yeah, well, take up the challenge feel like uh, IHG did all the heavy lifting with Stabridge and um, now that's established why, why wouldn't the others follow yeah Mm, and so we mm. move neatly on to your five star award of the week so you're i think you're you're pinning it on the on the on the lower pail of windhams for uh, this strong start yeah absolutely so there there they go announce a new brand with uh, with uh, deals for 50 units which is a pretty good start for any brand i think so it's uh, you, c- you don't get much ba- better than that uh, project echo is indeed um yeah, creating yeah. a bit of an echo and uh, your uh, your no star award this week andrew is going to uh well a number of slightly deaf brands i think they haven't heard the echo <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, this brings in this whole piece around what is going on um, regarding Western brands in Russia um, in response to the invasion of Ukraine. Uh, what should be the appropriate response? Um, and we've previously said we've got some sympathy with uh, the hotel hotel brand company position that yes we've got a responsibility for for guests for our staff and and for our owners um but i think ultimately uh, the, the 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 level of uh, uh anger around this this activity by the russian uh, government is such that I, I just question how sustainable it is to keep in the country given that so many brands including people like mcdonald's who you know they have what 80 plus percent of their their restaurants in russia were directly managed by um the company the u.s company so you know they've got just as much uh, challenge with their staff and so and customers and um and indeed with uh, owners for the other um just under 20 percent um which were franchised so i, I don't you know i they're able to pull out I, i'm not sure quite how strongly they um you know the hotel brands are going to be able to hold the t- hold the line and the real no stars is for the absolutely <laughs> tone deafness of a number of french companies outside of our our sector um so we see decathlon making noises that oh this is an opportunity for us to get out there and uh, uh go and uh, add to the um, you know the potential of uh, uh, you know expansion um, because people other brands are pulling out so here we are we've, we've got a brilliant opportunity um, another Leroy Merlin another um, who who said similar things uh, it's just completely tone deaf and we've got Renault the biggest car maker in in Russia um, builds the larder um, they they um, equally are not coming out um, uh, Danon, the yogurt maker, amongst many other things, um, they're not coming out. So it, it, it's, you know, I just, I this is not a good look, I don't think, for for these Western brands. And I think they've got to decide actually, you know, where's our future here in, in a country where quite likely it's going to be remaining in, uh, as it were, sort of North Korea type 
um, status for oh, probably a decade or so, uh, at, le- at the very least until there's regi- regime change. And I doubt there's, that's very likely in the short term in Russia. So, uh, you know, it surprises me that they're willing to, to risk their reputations doing this. So uh, this is going to run and run. I think we're looking at the whole Ukraine mm, thing yep, again next yep. week, Chris. In, in perspective so um, um, e- enough said on that I think but certainly no stars for for the tone deafness of of these brands and the failure to 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 look beyond uh, uh, where they are and I think we started off this podcast about ESG well this is clearly on the governance piece here and they are um, well, it's actually failing we'll it. say goodbye for now <laughs>